I'd like you to stand for the reading that I have here from Hebrews, two different, uh, two different verses. First is uh, Hebrews eleven thirty-five to 38. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And then Hebrews 13.3, which is the signature verse of the voice of the martyrs. Remember those in prison, as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. You may be seated. Well, I'm here to disturb you, and I'm here to shake you out of the complacency of living in this country with its wonderful freedoms. And obviously, I'm here to tell you very difficult things. And I hope to challenge you. And yet, I hope to show you the extreme kindness of God through all of this, through the love of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when we see suffering, we often ask God, why? Now, I'm not going to address that, the why aspect of this. We're, going to, we're just going to talk about the suffering aspect today. But I want to give you an acronym to help us discuss this. And the acronym is the word PRAY, P-R-A-Y. And so, through this word PRAY, I hope that when you think about our brothers and sisters, I hope it'll, think, I hope it'll help you to think about our brothers and sisters uh, who suffer around the world. So what's PRAY stand for? So let's go through briefly each letter, and then we'll go more in depth with each one. PRAY, P. Persecution is growing around the world. R. Remember those in prison for their faith. A, alert others to the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And why your faith will grow as you come alongside those who are persecuted. So let's talk about P. Persecution is growing around the world. In the 20th century, there was more persecution in that century than all the prior centuries combined. Today, there are about 200,000 incidences of Christians being martyred around the world every year. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, the time of Jesus' return is near. When we look at biblical and secular sources, and we look at the world around us, we can see that. There's an eschatological timeline. And on that timeline, I look at markers. Probably the first and most important marker for this timeline was Israel coming together as a nation in 1948. And we read about that in Ezekiel, 
in Ezekiel 37, where he spoke of the dry bones coming together and life being breathed into those bones. In Matthew 24, Jesus talked about war and rumors of war. He spoke of the coarsening of the culture and immorality. He talked about great deception and the falling away of faith and false prophets and earthly upheaval, earthquakes and famines and pestilences. And I love that word pestilences because recently we had some very interesting things around the world which uh, I, I kind of attribute to that. You may recall not too long ago the thousands and thousands of birds and thousands of fish that just died suddenly around the world. And then there's a bed bug infestation in New York City. Jesus also said that the gospel would be preached to all the world, and more and more that's happening. And so the obvious conclusion is, as Jesus said, when the branch of the fig fig tree is tender and puts out leaves, we know that summer is near. And so is the return of Jesus. Now in preparation for his coming, Jesus said, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. There's extreme persecution around the world. And when we look at this map, we get a real sense of that. It's literally worldwide, from North Korea all the way over to Cuba and into Mexico and in Colombia. The different colors are we have um, the, the green being restricted nations and the, the orange being hostile nations. The hostile nations are those in which the indigenous people persecute Christians. So there you have the Muslims and the, the Hindus and the Buddhists and the communists just from, just from the person-to-person persecution. Restricted nations, of which you can see there are many, many more, are those in which governments have specific laws against Christianity. They, they ban Bibles and, and other Christian literature. They, they ban house churches. They come and disrupt services. They burn the churches down. They uproot the people, burn their homes dispossess them, and they have a death penalty for converting from being, an, from, from being a Muslim, for instance, to a Christian. There's the death penalty. Owning a Bible is forbidden. All of this. Now, the persecution is worldwide, and yet the epicenter of all of this is Israel. The Bible speaks of Israel, of it being a cup. And that cup is, it's really the surrounding nations for Israel. So that's really where all the action is and will be. I want to talk to you about just some incidences of Christian persecution. 
Now, all of these that I'm going to relate uh, took place in Egypt, and they come from the Voice of the Letters, the, the Voice of the Martyrs newsletter, and I'll, I'll mention that a little bit more later. But um, Voice of the Martyrs (VOM) puts out a monthly newsletter, and you can subscribe to that. There's a resource table in the back, and I, I strongly encourage you to sign up and take take the newsletters. They've got plenty. They've got two different ones. They both of them actually have. Um, paper inserts, prayer maps like this, kind of. And so um, I, I strongly urge you to, to take those and, and just start reading about this. But um, in one incident, there was a young woman by the name of Hoda, and she converted to Christianity. And when her parents learned of her conversion, they locked her in her room for two years. And the only exposure that she had to the outside world was through um, her, she had a shortwave radio and, and she heard Christian programming. Now during that time, there was a, uh, a secret convert by the name of Nasir who uh, learned of her plight and determined to marry her. And so during that two years, he, he raised money and uh, Hoda's uh, parents thought that Nasir was... Uh, a, uh, a Muslim, and and they thought that he was the you know the perfect husband for their infidel daughter. <laughs> well, when she was released, they were married, and the, the two have been constantly harassed since then. They've been evicted from various apartments thirteen times. They've been mocked by their neighbors, betrayed by their friends, and yet they continue to evangelize, to witness for their faith. And this is what we'll see as a, as a strong, strong thread throughout all this. People who are persecuted for their faith stand boldly for Christ. They witness. There was, another, there was a young man by the name of Samir. And after he was converted the, uh, from Islam, the the police detained him, and they declared him insane, and they institutionalized him. And in the mental, mental hospital, he was tortured so horrifically that his, his mind and, and body were permanently damaged. Before he came to Christ, he was a top biochemistry student, so he was a smart guy. And in the institution, the doctors gave him strong hallucinogenic drugs and electric shock therapy to his genitals. Since his visit, first visit to the hospital uh, 10 years ago, he's been reinstitutionalized five more times for treatment. And his mind is, is irreversibly damaged, and he has continual tremors throughout his body. And the police often call him to make sure he's not witnessing. And yet he's meeting with a Voice of the Martyrs mentor who was working with him, with him and encouraging him, helping him in his still strong but damaged walk with the Lord. There was a woman by the name of Nora who with her two daughters converted from Islam to Christianity. And she, she wondered how she could tell her husband who, who was a dedicated Muslim and a leader in the mosque and every time she came into his presence, 
She was petrified. She'd break out into a cold sweat. And she would move her Bible from one place to the other just to keep him from, from finding it. And when he discovered that she had become a Christian, he beat her. And he beat her so hard that her gallbladder ruptured. She escaped from him with just the clothes on her back. And um, since then, she's been arrested five times. She's been continually harassed by her husband through lawsuits and over 20 police reports. They accuse her of being a blasphemer of Islam because she's converted to Christianity. Now she's remarried to a Christian, and together they go out and evangelize every chance they get. Now I want you to be aware, persecution will happen here in the United States. There are a lot of incidents already where, if you're familiar with Islamic Sharia law, many authorities around this country have already submitted to that in preference to our civil laws. And as this persecution grows in our country, which it will, Christianity is going to become even more and more despised. And I'm sure you know in your interactions out in the world from what you read that there's a lot of opposition to Christianity today. Well, as this persecution grows, Christ followers will need to make some hard decisions. You will need to make some hard decisions. Will you go with the flow? Or will you stand boldly for Christ? I don't want you to be ignorant of this coming darkness. You need to make a determination now how you will react. Because if you wait until the darkness is upon you, it'll be too late. The letter R. Remember those in prison for their faith. Persecution is typically reported as human rights abuses in the United States. And, you know, when we read about this stuff, it's far away, it's alien, we don't relate to it. Um, and when we hear these reports of persecution, we, we just kind of turn away because it's just too awful for us to comprehend. It, our attitude is it happens to others, and I, I feel badly about this, but, and it bothers me, but I don't want to know anymore. Well, my prayer, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will change any shadow of apathy in your hearts about the suffering of others who stand boldly for Christ. And this is the first step, hearing someone like me speak of the persecuted church, the suffering of others. So how should, we, how should we remember the suffering church, and, and why should we? Well, we'll talk about the why a little bit later in the why of pray. But um, remembering the persecuted church is, is actually pretty easy, but it does take an effort. Now, when I first became aware of martyrs, I was in a small group, and just the, the, 
subject came up somehow, and it just intrigued me. And so I started searching, searching out more information about that. And the Lord rewarded my diligence. And so I learned of the Voice of the Martyrs and another organization called Open Doors, which also ministers to the persecuted church. And, and so I started taking advantage of the resources. And again, one of them was this newsletter. So again, I, 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 there's, a, let's say, a sign-up sheet there. I, I just strongly recommend and urge you to sign up for this. And again, take, we've got plenty. You can take one of each of the, the two um, newsletters that are out there if you'd like. There are other resources. Voice of the Martyrs, VOM, has a website, persecution.com. It's www.persecution.com. And at that website, you can sign up for weekly email prayer alerts to learn what's going on, um, Christians being persecuted around the world, and use that as a, as a springboard for prayer. You can come alongside our suffering brothers and sisters in a lot of different ways. One way is, um, these are action packs. You can, you can get these from, from VOM. You can fill them with clothes and blankets. Uh, in every one, uh, a new, new Testament or other Christian material goes in, toiletries. These are sent to, uh, you have to they have to go to Bartlesville, which is Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is VOM's headquarters. They're uh, vacuum packed. And then they're sent to targeted areas for Christians who have suffered. On the website, you can also um, write letters of encouragement to those who are imprisoned. And the, uh, the software actually translates uh, into those languages. And I can't tell you how encouraged people in prison are who are imprisoned for their faith when they get letters from people all over the world. You can also write letters to governmental authorities. And this is very powerful because it lets those governments know that the world is watching. And through that effort, many, many Christians have been released early from their sentences. We also have a new curriculum for children for Vacation Bible School. And so you can help your children to know through this mechanism of the plight of their brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who suffer. Now, one of the things I do is uh, I, I read a lot. And one of the books that I love in this is Jesus Freaks, and the other is Extreme Devotion. I have both of those back there. And um, you can also order them from, from Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, also, Fox's Book of Martyrs. But these have, have um, little stories, little vignettes, one or two pages, that you can read as part of your, your daily devotional. And just get steeped in the history of people who have suffered. And in doing this, God just works in your heart. He just does. And um, you just grow to have such a heart for them. So through these mechanisms, I pray, and I, like, because I keep them constantly before me. 
And, and so this is how I remember the persecuted church. A, alert others to the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, the first step is, is first to learn the plight of those who suffer, and then the next step is to speak up for them. People don't know. Most churches don't know. No clue. There's a, a ministry that VOM has that within your church, uh, one or more people could be a, a part of. It's called Be a Voice Network. So anyone can join that and, and simply minister within your own church and initiate some of these things, perhaps within small groups or, or whatever, uh, and even encourage other churches. But we need to speak up. We have to be bold in our faith. We have to tell others around the world how people suffer and die for Christ because they trust in Jesus. The Messianic Psalm 69 says, Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. So will you comfort them? Will you encourage them? Will you alert others to their suffering? And then why? Why and pray. Your faith will grow as you come alongside those who are persecuted. You can't be a strong voice for the persecuted church unless your faith is strong. So the question is, how can we grow in our faith? What enables the persecuted and those who suffer to stand up and to be bold? Now this is one of the most important aspects of faith that you're ever going to hear. The cornerstone of strong faith is repentance. The cornerstone of strong faith is repentance. The first message in the gospel that we see that John the Baptist preached and Jesus preached was repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Martyrs for Christ understand their grievous sin before God. They experience deep, godly sorrow. And they identify with Christ and his suffering. Remember the video. What did Sarah say? She identified with his suffering because of the blood that she shed. Now, repentance comes from the heart. And true repentance creates a deep faith and an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us his power and his authority. 
To repent is to acknowledge your sin before God. It means to ask for forgiveness. And it requires us to turn from our sin and to no longer do it. Now, perhaps your pastor has spoken about the root of the word repentance. It comes from the Greek word metanoia. Meta meaning, meaning change, and noia meaning mind. So repentance means for you to change your mind. You're going to change your mind about sin, turn away from it, and no longer do it. Now our problem is we don't understand the personal nature of our sin. We don't understand how fallen we are. We read in in Romans where Paul said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we say, yeah, that's right. But I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as him or her. Right? And I dare say that if you were to go out on the street and ask ten people, Are you a good person? At least 9 out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, would would say, yeah, I'm a good person. I know that God will forgive my sins, if they even believe in God. We We forget that Paul also wrote in Romans 3, as it is written, there is no one righteous Not even one. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's quite an indictment, isn't it? And I can honestly say, that's me. Bible says, examine yourself. Now, as I said, our attitude is we're okay because we see ourselves as good. And yet, that's not how God sees us. And that's why he gave us the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. Paul says that the law gives us a knowledge of sin. That the law was given to us to act as a schoolmaster, a tutor, as a mirror for us to look at our sinful nature, to bring us this awareness of our sins, and to shut our mouths against the self-justification that we always do. I'm going to get real personal now. I want each of you to examine yourselves in the light of the Ten Commandments. And you'll see how you break God's law every day. So here's a question for you. 
Have you ever lied? Even one little white lie. What does that make you? A liar, right? Revelation 21.8 says, All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Have you ever stolen anything? Even just a little penny? What would you call me if I stole something? Thief, right? Have you ever used God's name as a filthy four-letter curse word? This is a very serious crime in God's eyes. He reveres his name. And what do we do? We trample it. It's called blasphemy. Have you ever simply looked at lust with someone? Jesus said, if you look at lust with someone, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. Now, we've only talked about four of the Ten Commandments. If you were to be judged by God's standards, would you be innocent or would you be guilty? Heaven or hell? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this should concern you. God is so holy, we can't imagine. We cannot stand before him in our sinful condition. Not one of us is righteous. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We cannot bribe the God of the universe with our good works. We cannot come into God's presence with these sins and the thousands and thousands of others that we've committed in our lifetimes against him. Each of us has grieved God. You have grieved God by trespassing against his holy word. He is holy, and we're not. The Bible says we will be punished for disobeying God. His punishment is his judgment, his wrath, and an eternal torment in hell. I deserve this punishment, and each of you deserves it as well. That's why Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why Jesus said, fear the one who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. What's hell? Well, it's darkness. It's eternal separation from God. It's constant regret. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the parable of Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man. And in there we see the rich man who has been relegated to hell and Lazarus, who is in Abraham's bosom. And so we understand from that parable that those who are in hell have this constant view of heaven. And they see what they're missing. 
what they could have chosen for themselves. There's this pain and this agony. The rich man says, just give me a drop of water for my tongue. It's eternal torment. When, my underst- when I gained this understanding of my sins and this truth, it opened my eyes why martyrs are such strong evangelists. Their sins are before them. They understand the eternal penalty for, their gr- for how they've grieved God. And they flee the wrath of God through repentance, into the arms of the only one who can save them from the damnation of hell. And they don't want others to suffer that any more than they would have in their prior life. This is the good news of the gospel. That through Jesus Christ, through God's love, through his grace, we can escape this terrible condemnation and wrath. When we talk about being saved, that's what we're being saved from. Right after Paul wrote in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he he also then wrote, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, in other words, our substitute, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. We deserve punishment, but God, in his infinite kindness, has given us this way to escape it. When Jesus died, he took all of our sins, all of them, past, present, and future, upon himself, and died the most horrible death ever imaginable. We can't imagine it. He did what we couldn't do. He made us righteous before God. I want you to think of it this way. You're standing in an earthly court, court of law for a crime you've committed, and the the judge must punish you according to the law that you've broken. And your punishment for this crime is a $50,000 fine. If you don't pay it today, you're going to go to jail for a long time, if not for the rest of your life. You plead with the judge. You say, I don't have this money. I can't pay it. But it's no use. You don't have the $50,000 and you know you'll never see daylight again outside of prison. Suddenly a man walks into the courtroom, walks up to the judge, and he says, here's $50,000, Your Honor. I've sold everything I own. My house, my stocks, my bonds, all of my possessions to gain this $50,000. so that this man can go free. Judge looks at the $50,000 cash, and he says to you, your fine is paid. You're free to go. Now, how would you feel toward this man? 
you'd be immensely grateful, wouldn't you? You owe him your life. Well, this is what Jesus did for us. And that's what our response should be to him. Gratitude. Gratitude for this amazing thing that he did for us. What he did was a legal transaction. Jesus paid the fine for our sins. Now, there's a caveat here. God's forgiveness of our sins doesn't happen without the appropriate response from us. God's grace is not cheap, and it shouldn't be, because it cost him the highest sacrifice. It demands that we purposefully turn to him through repentance and then place our trust, our complete trust in Jesus Christ. What he gave us was a gift. But, you know, if somebody hands you a gift, it's pretty useless unless you actually take it and open it. Well, our acceptance of the gift from God is repentance and yielding to our Savior. We have to yield to God in complete surrender. We have to be purposeful. But we can't do all this ourselves. We can't walk in righteousness ourselves. And so God, when we from the heart repent and put our trust in Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside us. And then we become born again. He seals the deal for us and he helps us to walk as we couldn't do so ourselves. Now Jesus warned Many on Judgment Day will cry out, Lord, Lord, I want you to listen to me very carefully. There are many who attend church, do it regularly, do many good deeds, but they've never understood their transgressions against God. They've never repented. They say, I think I'll try on this Jesus thing. Just see, you know, if I have the joy and the peace and everything that that everybody says that I'll have but it's not from the heart. And I tell you, without repentance, there is no salvation. And if that's you, you're on the broad path to destruction. Jesus spoke of the narrow road through the straight gate for a reason. And so I plead with you. I beg of you. Don't be among those to whom Jesus says, be gone you worker of iniquity, you man or you woman of lawlessness, you transgressor of my holy law, I never knew you. I'm almost finished. Martyrs of the faith, those who suffer for Christ, they know that the destruction, the path of destruction is broad, but the road to salvation is narrow. So I don't want you to be deceived. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through the grace of God. It's not through works. It's not through our own self-sufficiency. It's through God's sufficiency. And this is why martyrs are such strong evangelists. They don't want to see others perish. And they know that these others certainly will if they don't tell them about Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're willing to suffer for it. Well, you will perish. 
regardless of how good you think you are, unless you yield your life to Jesus Christ. And I mean yield. It's not a decision. It's surrender to him as our Lord and our Master. Now, if you study the martyrs, you'll see that they suffer for their faith. They just keep on witnessing. That ability comes through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He gives them power. He gives them authority. He gives them the courage and the hope that only this deep work of Jesus in their hearts brings. So in conclusion, when you get before God, you're in your quiet times, maybe in times of worship, I'd like you to keep in mind, pray for the persecuted church. Visualize the word pray. P, persecution is growing around the world. R, remember those in prison for their faith. A, alert others to the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And why? Your faith will grow. Your faith will grow as you come alongside those who are persecuted. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are such a, an amazing and a good God, such a loving God, a God so full of grace. Oh, Lord, this, what you've done for us, we can't even begin to imagine and it's, it's through that love and through the Holy Spirit living within us that, that we have the boldness and the willingness to stand for you, to testify, to witness for you. Lord, we're in awe of your servants around the world who do this, knowing full well what's in store for them. And I just pray, I just pray that, that our hearts will, will be surrendered to you, Lord, that they will be tender, that that we will come alongside those who suffer for you and bring them the encouragement and the comfort that they so greatly need and desire. And I pray that you'll do this great work in us and lift us up to be just mighty servants and righteous before you, Lord. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.